This podcast is from our Tabar Gathering 2019. For more information on Tabar, please go to our website, tabar-network.com. It's good to be here. Welcome, everybody. Um, I know Tash and Phil have welcomed you. I wanted to take a moment to do that as well. It's great to see you um, here. It's um, great to have so many churches represented. Um, we do uh, count it an awesome privilege. I know we kind of think it, but we know in reality Lurgan isn't actually the center of the universe. Um, so to have so many people traveling in here and um, just to witness what God can do and is doing um, uh, feels like a, it just feels like holy for us. It really does feel holy, and so we want to we want to thank you for that. Um, it's it's great that we have been joined by all of you. It's great to have some friends with us. I just want to take a moment to um, mention a few people. It's great to have Roger and Maggie with us. Maggie's going to be sharing um, later on, and uh, Phil will introduce Maggie properly um, to you. Um, it's great to have her. Just really kind of top-level input, which you're, you're, I know you're going to enjoy. And Roger, who's been a great friend to us here, here over the last number of years. And, um, you know, we recognize the, the apostle that he is amongst us and what he kind of brings to the table here. And uh, so it's good to have you here, Roger. Roger's going to be a seminar later, and it's going to be brilliant. I've heard that talk before, and it's one of the best talks um, I've heard in terms of transition and seasons and stuff like that. So, um it's good to have him. It's good to have Craig and Christine Westoff all the way from America. Give them a round of applause. Um, Craig and Christine are both going to be doing um, uh, seminars. Um, Christine this afternoon, Craig tomorrow afternoon. Um, but just to say, like throughout the course of this conference, we really, really value the prophetic voice. Um, from from loads of different channels, we 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 feel like we need the prophetic voice more than ever. Um, not 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 just in the context of blessing and encouraging one another. Of course, it's that too. But in terms of how we fulfil the Great Commission, we we need the prophetic voice. We value it and we honour it. We want to make room for it here. And um, and Christy in particular is a proven kind of prophetic seasoned voice and particularly all around the world but particularly within our 24 7 tribe and so christine it's great to have you here and so um uh, if and when she releases some stuff you'll know that we trust her with our whole hearts and um, it's also great to have um the portals with us pete and sarah it's great to have them they are all the way from um manningburg in south africa um and uh just uh, doing some of the most uh, amazing incarnational church planting that you could imagine there. Um, that seminar is going to be tomorrow afternoon. I want to really um, make mention, Pete has just released a book of a bit of that story and his and Sarah's life together. It's um, it's called New, No Neutral Ground. It's out in the foyer. And I really want to encourage you to, to, to read it if you're, if you're ready to get your life kind of wrecked a wee bit for Jesus. Yeah, um, But it'll be great reading for you over the summer and we'd love to encourage you um, to um, to do that. And they're going to be here over the next two days as well. So just lots of wonderful people in the room. Um, it's also good that you saw who um, Tash was. Tash done an amazing job pulling all of this conference together. And um, you, um, you might not see her at the front too much more, uh, probably after this talk to tell you where to get your coffee. But um, probably not too much more after that, but she will be floating around as well as everybody else and or in green t-shirts, so please just uh, help us help us help you to make this a good couple of days. 
This uh, talk that I want to do this morning is more an opening of the kind of conference setting, the same type of talk. Um, so it's not so much I'm going to preach a text, if that's okay with you, although I am going to um, have the Bible in front of me and be referring to it. Um, but I just want to read a passage which I'm probably not going to preach on, but might um, refer to a little bit. Um, but that does just set the scene and the essence, I think, of what we're going to try and look at this morning. John chapter 3. Um, well-known passage of scripture. I'm going to just read it. Sorry, this particular one isn't on the screens. The rest of them will be. But I just want to read this as we um, set the set the scene. John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to them, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or from where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, You are a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things. In other words, you lead the church. And you don't get it? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things, spirit things? No one has no ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted up like a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's hard to believe it's 2019, isn't it? Many of you, who remembers 2020 vision statements in your churches, yeah? We're, we're almost there, aren't we? And we're now having to like revision and like impress everybody come 2020 again for 2030 and all of that kind of thing, right? But um, I came into 2019 um, with a bit of an anticipation, kind of prayerful reflection, because this is the year that I turn 40. I can't, quite, I can't quite believe how I got there, but I am, and Lisa, who was leading worship, we're two weeks apart, so the secret's out, she's going to be 40 as well, okay? Um, we are, um, we were kind of, yeah, two weeks apart as cousins, so uh, we're, we're 40 this year, and I was kind of prayerfully kind of going into it, and, and, and still am, because, you know, I, I know in, in some ways it's just another year, isn't it? But we like to go into new decades, I do anyway, thinking about what I'm, what I'm going to do and realizing that following Jesus, it's much more realistic just to, to think in decades in terms of your commitment and what you're laying your life down for rather than just like a, a two-week mission trip in the summer, isn't it? And so I, I tried to allow myself to be prayerful and reflective going into that. And we've planned some stuff. We've planned some fun stuff, um, not least in two or three weeks' time. 
um, traveling down the west coast of America with my wife. Right? So uh, stay posted on Instagram if you want to see the photos. All right. But um, it's um, so I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that. But you know, instead of it really being a beautiful little kind of contemplative me sitting under a tree with my journal kind of process, it's uh, it's actually been pretty unsettling. Um, for a number of reasons. We felt that the Lord told us at the start of the year to put our house on the market and sell our house, hoping that something would come up, and it didn't. Um, and so we're now currently, as we call here in Northern Ireland, freeloading in my mother-in-law's house to pay for the trip to America for um, my uh, birthday, all right? And I'm, so I'm living in Lisbon these days, Harmony Hill to be exact. So if I sound a little bit more posh today, you'll, um, you'll understand why, right? But things are unknown right? Things are unknown. We're not quite sure where we're going to live. We're not going quite sure where we're going to raise our kids and da-da-da. And then we found ourselves at church at the start of January, the church that we planted in the Port of Down. We were told that we had to be out of it by the end of January. We're renting a, a, mall, a, a unit in a shopping mall in Port of Down. And um, we've subsequently been allowed to stay in that mall, but we're on a month-to-month kind of rolling contract, okay? So we could be told to leave at any point. And with, like, whatever it is, like 130, 150 adults, 50 kids, we can't just say, kind of, come to my house on Sunday. We, you know, we, 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 need, we need somewhere. And so that's a bit unknown. We're not quite sure where we're going to end up as a church family. And then, I suppose even more personally, um, Rachel's dad, we went into this year knowing Rachel's dad was ill and increasingly getting worse and all the unknowns that, you know, a sick kind of parent or family member brings. And then he subsequently went to be with Jesus a couple of months ago. And like loss in your family does to you, it leaves you kind of disorientated. You know, you, you don't know what that's like before it happens. It's unknown. And, uh, and so uh, the theme of this conference leading from the known to the unknown, it feels like God was kind of asking Rachel and I to journey a little bit of this or allowing us to journey a little bit of this personally before that we'd ever preach about it publicly. And, uh, and so as I share just a little bit, just a few snippets of my life, I'm sure that resonates with you as a bunch of individuals here together. Um, there's different uncertainties and unknowns in our lives that we're trying to work through, trying to wade our way through, stumble our way through. And often it only sort of makes sense when we look back. It was Soren Kierkegaard that said that great little phrase, life can only be understood backwards but must be lived forwards. And so as, as Christians, we, we come together like we do most Sundays, you know, to remember what we know. Yeah, don't we? We come to remember what we know. We come here together to remember what we know, to know that God is good, to know that he is our portion, to know that he is from everlasting to everlasting, to know that he will never leave us or forsake us, and to know that because of Jesus and what he's done, as we sung about this morning, that we are his sons and daughters. We come to remember what we know, and that's why, in one, one sense, why we do church. Isn't we, we, we come together to remind ourselves in a world where there's so much unknown, and in a world where the enemy would want to steal our identity like he's been doing from the beginning, we come to remember what we know. We come to do what Jesus said, break bread and remember me, remember what you know that because of Jesus, we are his sons and his daughters. I I love this kind of candidly from Anne Lamott, who's a brilliant writer. She says, I live for Sundays. It's like going to the spiritual gas station to fill up on fuel and clean the dirty windshield and mirrors. I usually show up nuts, self-obsessed, 
vaguely agitated, and at once I'm reminded not of who I am, but whose I am. Huh? Who, um, who, like some of us I know are really holy, and we've had our quiet time before we come to church, and we worship music on in the car on the way there, and we just glide into church, don't we? Yeah. Well, most of us come to church. Who doesn't come to church self-obsessed? I know I do. <laughs> who doesn't come to church thinking that they might be going nuts, and at the very least mildly agitated, yeah? And we come and we get into this space and we remember what we know, that we are not God. <laughs> he is God. We submit our hearts to Him. And so as we, we come and we come here together, we come and we sung and we worship to remember what we know. But we also come to remember that the one who calls us as sons and daughters, and we know that, also calls us into the unknown. That's part of what coming together should be about. That he calls us to go somewhere where we haven't yet been. We come to remind ourselves of the reality that we never signed up for a life of certainty. We, we come to remind ourselves that we never signed up for a life where we would know everything. We come to remind ourselves that, in fact, we give up our lives to a God in whom, without faith, it is impossible to please. This is the life that we signed up for. In following Jesus, we, we, we sign up for a life of faith and risk, of being blown by the wind, of a life of losing ourselves daily, a life of constantly letting go in order to allow a new deep trust to come in a good father who clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds and tells us not to worry about tomorrow because he's going to lead us into good things no matter how difficult they appear. And so the, so the reality is, as I have described at the start, a little bit of just a little snippet of my own story over the last few months, the reality is I could make that really melodramatic, couldn't I? I could make you really kind of feel sorry for me and all of that. But the reality is that kind of life is actually supposed to be more of the norm rather than the exception. A life of living not really knowing exactly everything that's going to happen. Because this is the essence of the God story. This is the essence of the legacy of faith that we step into. Mothers and fathers and faith whose heart were set in pilgrimage, who heard the voice and left, who left home not knowing where they were going, who were going somewhere that they did not fully know, but they knew that there was something better, a better city, something beyond to walk towards. This is the essence of our faith, the confidence in what we hope for an assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is our story. They were ordinary people like you and me who knew enough because they had heard the voice. They knew enough because they had heard the voice, the trust of voice to lead them into the unknown. And this is what I feel the Lord wants to do over the next couple of days. See, when you hear the voice and it might not be a, a, a whole download, but it just might be a few words. But when you hear the voice, the voice is compelling enough. The glimpse of God is captivating enough that you will follow it into the unknown. This is the story of our faith. And the ancients, that is what they were commanded for, commended for. Because they, they heard the voice, Abraham, leave your family and, and go. Moses, you're on holy ground. Now, now go and proclaim liberty in front of Pharaoh. 
Isaiah, whom shall I send? Jesus, follow me. Forsake it all. There's something about the voice. There's something about the voice of God. There's something about it, the voice that when we truly hear it, it's com- compelling. It walks into the meandering, mundane, everyday parts of our lives and awakens the deepest longing for our souls and in our souls because our souls were created to hear the voice of God, to follow it into the unknown. And our deep prayer is that each of us as individuals would hear the voice of God. If the enemy wants to do anything, he wants to stop up your ears so you stop hearing the voice. But but remember that voice is going to lead you into the unknown. And so our hope and prayer is that as individuals we'll hear that voice. But what I'd love us to think about as well is what if we came together as a people? What if we came together as the people of the church in Ireland, as a microcosm of it? What if we came together over the next two days and we bended our ears to the voice of God for what he's doing in the church in Ireland today? What if we all positioned ourselves to gather up what we know, to discern the times, to listen to God, to gather up what we know? And here's what we do know. He's done it before in this land. And what if we take what we do know and we gather that all up and we say, God, what about now? Would you not revive us again? And what if we listen to the voice that will lead us into the unknown? We know enough to know he's done it before. He's visited our land. He's visited this island in remarkable, remarkable ways. But the way he visited our land was through people that were prepared with boldness and courage to walk into the unknown. Remember around 450 AD, the Roman Empire had been kind of, had sanitized Christianity. There was no missional strategy at all, really, to the Celtic barbarians. And God had to get somebody outside what was known. He had to the Spirit had to grab hold of somebody outside the system, outside what was known to follow the voice into the unknown. And Patrick heard that cry, the voice of God through the voice of the Irish, and it said, come walk amongst us again. Who does God choose outside the system? The trafficked slave boy. That's the one he chooses. Somebody outside what is known because we need more people. We need more than what we know. We need more than what we already know. We need something beyond that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is we need more than what we know. And and Patrick heard the voice of God through the voice of the Irish. And he follows them in his own words. He follows God, listen to this for a call, into pagan barbarians, worshippers of idols, and unclean things. He walks into utterly unknown pagan territory, and he changes the face and the destiny and the legacy of a nation and the evangelization of Europe. And he rids this country of the spirit of paganism because he followed the Lord into, he followed the voice into the unknown. And I'm sure he got more from the Lord along the way, but in a sense, that's all he got. A sentence from the Lord. Come and follow me. Come and walk amongst us. And it made an impact all over Europe. Listen to this. 
The impact of Patrick and others like Columba was due only in part to the extraordinary lives they lived. Beyond their individual impact, they left the legacy of the missionary movement they inspired and built. Their ministries led to thousands of young people, young people flooding into monastic life. Many of these young men in turn became missionaries and founders of monasteries as they received their call to go on pilgrimage for Christ. They left with a small band of followers to go where the Spirit led them, to go to the unknown. And as they found out across Britain and Western Europe, Christianity was planted throughout the rest of the pagan world beyond the reach of the Roman Emperor. They founded monasteries and recruited new workers as they went. <laughs> they went to the unknown and stuff changed. And so we have redemptive roots in this country, people. We, we know this anyway, but I just want us to remember this. There is ancient anointing in the soil. There are sovereign foundations for us to build on. But the question then comes, doesn't it? What about now? What is the voice of God saying to the church in Ireland now? We're going to be looking at this later tonight and throughout our time together. But things are shifting in our world. Institutions are being humiliated. Culture is turning in on itself. Everything is deconstructing itself so much that it's about to burn out. And here in Ireland... We don't know what's going on. We're not quite sure how it's all going to turn out. There's talk about um, border poles as real possibilities. We're shocked at the wave of secularism sweeping through the south of the country and even up into the north. The general mood is changing as we've seen in our political results recently. Our government is still in deadlock. More churches are being closed than there are being planted. Some of the worst poverty in the UK is in Northern Ireland. We, we, we are living in seriously challenging, tumultuous days. The unknown is surrounding us on so many levels. And yet church history teaches us that when the world around us has lost its confidence and certainty, and when culture has lost faith in what it knows, that maybe, just maybe, we are ripe. For a move of the Spirit of God. Because interesting, the new thing that we love to quote, you know that Isaiah verse, the new thing that God's about to do. I'm not going to read it, but you, you know it. And if you glance up at the screen, you'll know that it actually happens in waste places. It happens in wildernesses. It happens in the places where we don't know everything. It happens in, in the unknown. That's where the new thing happens. And that's what we have to perceive as the people of God. Do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? Why does it happen there? Because hopefully in the midst of all that's unknown, in the midst of all the uncertainty, in the midst of the moral decline of our society, in the midst of the lack of confidence in leadership in the public space, in, 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 in the midst of the humiliation of political and religious institutions, in the, in the midst of all of that, somewhere in the nation, somewhere in the nation, somewhere in the midst of the unknown, there's a, there's a remnant, there's a bunch of prayerful, worshipping, humble people coming before the Lord in the opposite spirit to say, Lord, will you not revive us again? These are the preconditions of an awakening as we see throughout church history. When a new wave of worship and prayer 
and a refocusing of our hearts towards Jesus, a reordering of our attention, the loves of our heart, get re- the affections of our heart, the things our souls are tied to, get reordered onto the person of Jesus. And so as we think about this within Ireland, I want us to think about how we need to do this. And it's going to take three things. Very simple. New worshippers, new wine, and new wine skins. New, new worshippers. At the heart of any move of God is a wave of wholehearted worship. A wave of devoted Jesus followers. Steve Addison, who's a kind of expert on movements, wrote this phrase that at the heart of every movement is white, hot love. White, hot love for Jesus. People who come, as I've said, in the, in the opposite spirit, and they mingle worship, humility, repentance, and hunger. And what we see in the Bible and throughout history is then the tide starts to turn. They keep contending, they keep seeking, they keep praying, they keep their hearts soft, and God does something. We see it in the Old Testament on many occasions, the general revival dynamic that, that takes place, that breaks in when people turn to Him with humility and repentance. But ultimately, the Old Testament teaches us that we couldn't do it for ourselves, didn't it? Ultimately, we needed one to come in Jesus, who would not just take our place not just die the death, the one and only Son, the unique one and only one who would come, take our place on the cross to forgive our sins. But in the bigger picture of all of that, he would reverse the curse. He would vanquish sin, death, and hell. He would inaugurate in his life a new kingdom that is, that is birthed by the Spirit. And he would recapitulate and start a movement that would recapitulate everything that went wrong because of the curse. And to those who surrender to his lordship, and to those who will love him, he says he will come and baptize them with fire. He will put the fire of his love so that the heart of his movement will be worshipers. Those who love him, love him, love him, burn with love for him. And so where there are new worshipers, we will find there will be new wine. The Spirit will pour himself out. Because ultimately and fundamentally, we need to get this. The church is a movement of the Spirit. It sounds like a really simple thing to say. But in Ireland, we need to discover that the church is a movement of the Spirit. Before it is an institution, before it is a belt, before it is any of the, the church is a movement of the Spirit. Everything hinges on this. And so the gospel writers, as they write to us, are not just recording us a nice little story for historical proof. That might be one of the byproducts. But they are giving us a text that they want us to get swept up into. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. The Bible is an invitation. It's an invitation to step into the flow and the movement of the Spirit of God that is moving throughout the earth. And worshippers of the risen Lord, those devoted to Jesus, will get swept up in them. You see, we know how the story ends, thank God, as it tells us in Revelation, whatever way you want to read it, right? At least we know how it's going to end. But in another sense, the Bible writers, particularly in the New Testament, they leave it open-ended because they want us to get caught up to continue the story, if you like, but to be informed by the Scriptures. We see this particularly in the book of Acts. Luke, if you're not aware, wrote the book of Luke, his gospel, obviously, and his book and the follow-up Acts. It's a two-part series. And Luke is giving us his gospel and Acts as a kind of as a kind of archetype in which to pattern ourselves on as a church. When I grew up, I was told that Acts is just a history book. 
Just a book of the Acts of history. No, no, no. No, no. It tells us the history, of course, but it's a, it's a, it's a pattern for the church to get caught up in. It's a movement of the, of the Spirit. And in his gospel, Jesus is presented as perfect theology. Jesus is the Son of God, the fullness of God, and he is presented to us as the founder of the movement, as Lord and Savior and Messiah and the Christ. And so what Luke shows us in his gospel is that Luke is that Jesus was born of the Spirit, wasn't he? How was he conceived? Miraculously by the Spirit. How did he live? How did he minister? He only ministered through the power of the Spirit. And then, so what does Acts show us? The replication of that in the life of the apostles. How was the church conceived? By the Spirit. How did they minister in the power of the Spirit? The movement of uh, the church to fulfill the Great Commission is a movement of the Spirit. And what we see in the book of Acts is how these early ordinary people, but those apostles and the early church begin to incarnate the ways of Jesus through the life of the Spirit into the church around them. And this is what we call the apostolic mandate of the church. It is the mandate to go. That's what the word apostolos means, one who is sent away. And we as a movement of Jesus worshipers, Jesus followers, are sent. The go is in the gospel. And it has a passion to go. I love what David Bosch says. It's true. It's not true that there is a mission because there is a church. Rather, there is a church because there is a mission. We are swept up in movement. We are swept up in mission. Our fundamental mandate as the body of Christ is to be a sent people fulfilling the Great Commission. And that has to be the main metric of our success as the church. If your main metric of success as the church is how good your website is, even how many people are coming on a Sunday, or how great your building is, that's not the right metric. The right metric for your church in terms of how obedient and how obedient we are being to the Great Commission is if we're making disciples, that make disciples, that plant churches, that plant churches, that fill out culture with the presence of God. At the heart of the church, there is the go of the gospel, and we see that throughout the book of Acts. On and on the movement rolls out into the streets of Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, into Antioch, into Rome, and along the way it goes with the message, Jesus is Lord. And it deconstructs every other power structure, every other hierarchical system, every other social class. It deconstructs them under the power and the anointing of the Spirit for one people under the Lordship of Jesus to become the family of God. This is the movement that we are part of. And so when we say Jesus is Lord, it's an offense that runs across purposes to every other structure. We're saying Caesar is not Lord. We're saying that men are not Lord. We're saying that white middle-class Christianity is not Lord. We're saying that your idols are not Lord. We're saying Jesus. And Jesus alone is Lord. And as we surrender to his lordship, we get caught up in the movement. And Luke wants us to continue it. This is how, this, so this is how the, it ends in Acts. This is the last verses of Acts. This is in Rome. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God there. And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And the last words of Acts without hindrance, unhindered. It would seem in the natural that it would be because he's 
in prison under house arrest. But nothing can contain the Spirit of God when there's worshippers surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. And so on and on it rolls. And it's like Luke has just said, listen, I've just shown you cycle one. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. Cycle one has finished. Now off you go. Pattern yourself on these words so that as a church we can continue to get caught up in the movement. That's what they did, and that's what we are called to do. And that's why the book of Acts is paradigmatic, if you like, or it's a theological framework for us to get caught up in. And if we are to do that, if we were to truly pattern ourselves on the early church, it's, this sounds so simple, but it's what we need so much. It's to be open to the ongoing infilling of the Holy Spirit. If we want to see the cogs of genuine apostolic movement in the nation, to plant churches, to proclaim the gospel, to see His kingdom come in every sphere of influence, then we need to see a moving of God's Spirit. There is always a preceding outpouring of the Spirit before there is any fresh advance of the gospel. That's what we see in the book of Acts. You say, but it's already happened at Pentecost. Well, of course, Acts 2 shows us the fulfillment of the Pentecost that happened. But if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that it happened again in Acts 4, in Acts 8, in Acts 10. Imagine that happening amongst the Gentiles. Imagine all the people that we don't think the Holy Spirit is going to pour himself out on, he does. It happens in Acts 13. It happens in Acts 18. The Holy Spirit is unfolding who he is. And anywhere there is going to be a fresh heralding of the gospel, which is, your king has come. There's going to be a preceding outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How we long for this in, in Ireland. How we long for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Guys, we need more than what we know. I was down at my mom's house there during the week and I went for a run. She was looking after my kids, as often happens. And uh, I went for a run and around where I used, used to run as a teenager. And I ran past the little gospel hall where I was brought up. And I, I stopped at the gates um, because I wanted to pray and also needed a breather. And I thank God for, for my history. I thank God for what I was taught there. I tried to honor and prayer just the men and women who taught me about Jesus what he'd done on the cross and the power of his blood. But you know what? As I ran on, I said, God, I need more. We need more. We need more of your Holy Spirit to send us beyond our buildings into the culture that we, we have called us to. We need more than what we know, people. We need more than what websites and conferences, even though you're at one. But you, you need, we need to go back to our churches. We need more and all of this stuff, we need the Spirit of God working in us. We need new wine. I'm going to really mess with your heads here, but I couldn't find anyone that said it better than Pope Francis. So, <laughs> so I'm sorry if so. You know, I'm not, I'm not with, I'm not with, I'm not with Francis and everything, but I'm with him in this. And here's what he says: Each new day in the life of our families and each new generation brings the promise of a new Pentecost, a domestic Pentecost, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete 
whom Jesus sends as our advocate, our counselor, and indeed our encourager. With every new generation, the voice wants to come and the Spirit wants to pour himself out so that we can be a sent people. And that's what we think the Holy Spirit wants to impart over the next few days. An infilling and an outpouring of a Spirit that will empower us to plant churches all over this nation. Because as a, as a nation and as the church in the nation, we haven't planted enough churches. We haven't seen enough colonies of heaven take root in the soil of unknown territory that the enemy has occupied for far too long. We need to see the gospel proclaimed as Jesus is Lord, and that's our journey. As a church, that's our journey. Over the last 22 years, it would take too long, obviously, to go through the journey, but this is where, this is where we've come to at this point because <laughs> we heard the voice. And I'm going to be honest, he didn't give us an awful lot. He just said there's something along the lines of, you see this thing you're doing? He said, this is a thing. That's kind of what he said. You see this, this thing you're moving into? This is something. Now step up and lead and have courage and allow the wind of the Spirit to blow at your back and I'll bring you the resources and the provision you need. Do we know where that's going? No. Do we have all the answers? No. But do we know enough? We know enough to keep going. Because the voice is so compelling. The voice is so captivating. The voice is so good that you can't not go. And that's what the Spirit said to us. Surrender your hearts to the Lordship of Jesus. Be, a, be new worshipers. And I'll pour out my new wine. And so we had to repent because we become too interested in building our version of church. We become too interested in what we know. We become too confident in what we know. We had to lay that down. We'd substituted the pattern that I've just described in the book of Acts for leadership principles that would make us look slick and excellent rather than being people of the power and presence of God. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a power. See, we were, we were even building big, but we weren't moving. We were adding the odd person, but we weren't reproducing, which is what anything healthy is supposed to do. And so we can masquerade growth as something that's not actually the growth of the New Testament. That at the heart of our church, there needs to be the movement of the Spirit. And ironically, as we let go of our own Christian version of Babel, we got filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And God gave us a love for the church again, all over again, as it is described. And so I'm not going to get time to go into this the way I'd like, but I suppose this is what, what Tabar is all about, so we can have conversations about this. We realized as God was pouring out this new wine that there was going to be needed new wineskins. <laughs> Here's what, what he said to us, essentially what he was saying to us. Now that you've positioned yourself for the new wine, he basically said, you need to reform the church. And here's what I humbly am suggesting we need to do. And what I'm praying for courage 
by the Spirit to come upon us. We need to reform our churches around the wineskin of the New Testament, the apostolic mandate, not to impress people, entertain people, or even maintain people. But we need to reorder and reform our churches if we want to be wineskins that will steward the new wine well around the apostolic mandate to go into all the world, in and around the word of Jesus. It's, it's plain and simple, but we've made up all sorts of theological gymnastics to say this stuff isn't for the day. And some of us may need to repent for just teaching that hasn't been right. And it's not necessarily your fault, but I'm humbly suggesting some of us maybe throughout this conference need to repent. Because Jesus said, the Bible says, quite clear, Ephesians chapter 4, after he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, after he ascended. So they, they came after he went up. So of course they're for today. Of course these gifts are for the day. Of course these graces are for the day. And, he, and, he, and he, he, he tells, Paul tells the Ephesians, consequently you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. We, we, we need to see fresh apostolic and prophetic graces along with the other three that fill that out. Evangelist, shepherd, we need to see those graces released in our churches because Jesus has actually already coded them in. We just need to nurture them and release them and fan them so the church can be built and established. Because if that's done, then we will always build around the chief cornerstone who is Jesus. They need to look like Jesus, smell like Jesus, live like Jesus. They're not badges to wear, titles to give ourselves, or any of that nonsense, right? They are graces and gifts to come from the throne of God to release us, to build and establish this church, and to keep it moving. And just in case you thought it was too difficult for us in these times, let's listen to J.B. Phillips just as we finish the last quote. Maybe... Lisa, you come, just want to sing one song before we go to coffee. Many Christians today talk about the difficulties of our times as though we should have to wait for better ones before the Christian religion can take root. Listen to this. It's heartening to remember that this faith took root and flourished amazingly in conditions that would have killed anything less vital in a matter of weeks. Those early Christians were on fire with the conviction that they had become, through Christ, literal sons of God. They were pioneers. <laughs> they were pioneers of a new humanity, founders of a new kingdom. And they still speak to us across the centuries, perhaps if we believed what they believed, we might achieve what they achieved. What about being pioneers of a new humanity in Ireland? What about establishing families that look like Jesus, where people become sons and daughters of God and are mobilized to fill out the culture with the presence and the power of Jesus Christ? Why don't we stand our feet? We're going to have a cup of tea and coffee in the next few minutes. And we've got lots more. Maggie's going to take this on after our coffee break. We'll have, we'll have lots more time for ministry and stuff like that in that session. But just, just for now, before we go for coffee, why don't we just, you know, we've already prayed this, but why don't we just, why don't we just keep praying it? We just hold, even if you want to hold your hands out to the Lord, let's just, let's just ask the Lord, would he come and, and, and release his presence 
and his spirit over us today and over these next two days. Come, Holy Spirit, we love you, Lord. Jesus, we, we just declare that you are Lord in this place. Lord of all, we lift you up, Jesus. And we surrender our hearts to your Lordship. We pray, God, that you would ignite within us a fresh wave of worship, God. White, hot love for Jesus, God. Captivate us with your beauty and your glory again, Jesus. Let new worship spring from our deepest parts of God. Lord, we pray that there would be new, as we do that, Lord, that you would come and new wine, God, would be poured out. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to just impart and pour out yourself in the hungry and empty vessels of God. We, just, we empty ourselves in these moments so you can come and fill. Come and fill, Holy Spirit, afresh. Come and release your presence and power. And we pray, Lord God, that as we do that, that, Lord, in our conversations and and almost even just by revelation over these two days, that you would start to speak to us about the reformation that needs to happen in our churches, in our leadership teams, the difficult conversations we might need to have, but God, that we'd know just grace and courage and boldness upon us to see, God, the right wineskin, to steward the new wine that you're pouring out on this nation in order to see your kingdom come in this land, God. We pray in Jesus' name.